0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE. Welcome to ADAP's Prevention 365. Prevention is every day and every way. I'm your guest host, Jeannie Shimatsu with ADAP. And today is a special episode in recognition of National Prevention Week. Our conversation today is on prescription drugs and opioids. And we have three great guests. So let's welcome Ruth Morales, she's our uh, division, I'm sorry, Diversion Outreach Coordinator from the Drug Enforcement Administration or DEA. We have Sandy Logan, who's a uh, CPS or Certified Prevention Specialist with Pueblo y Salud. And Jessica Morales, she's our Prevention Educator with Tarzana Treatment Center ladies are so excited to have you on board. You know, let's this is such a timely topic because there's so many things happening with uh, prescription drug abuse, overdose, uh, opioid overdose. So let's just jump in. And Jessica, I'm going to have you start off because you have a very personal story to share. And I think it's going to touch everyone because we'll be able to relate at different levels with your story, Jessica.
1: Absolutely. And Jeannie, thank you for having me on. Um, And I I do appreciate uh, this opportunity. So starting off, um, I did have a cousin of mine. He's actually 27. Um, He's a father of three beautiful daughters um, and then a uh, loving husband. And just he was he was an amazing person. He had passed away recently due to a, a prescription drug uh, overdose. And I had recently went to uh, this service and I shared a couple of words. And those words, I I wanted to really thank his mother. Um, he, she was, you know, in tears and you just devastated, um, and then the whole family, but I wanted to thank them for allowing everyone to come together to celebrate his life, and not once did I hear um, any words of overdose or any words of, uh, oh, yeah, he was just on drugs, and he was this, and he was that. It was nothing but love and lovely words um, towards him, so I just wanted to go ahead and acknowledge that and this, this can happen to anybody uh really it it doesn't it's not just uh, a lot of individuals that can be around you know hanging out on the streets it's you know many loved ones are uh, affected and also it's it's so easy to do. Like, it's so easy to say, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll just take it like a couple more this time. Um, And, you know, not really knowing what's going to happen after that. It's, it's very, very serious. Um, And then coinciding with mental health. It's so important to connect with others, and sharing with them your concerns about Like, hey, you know, I'm having, you know, these thoughts or I'm it's I'm I'm really tempted to just, you know, to like if someone were to say I'm tempted to end it all like that's those are some signs. Um, And then we really have to be proactive in identifying uh, those signs as well. And uh, personally, years ago, I, I found myself in that same situation is you know, I was going through a lot, um, and and I know what it's like to be put on, you know, a fifty-one fifty, and I, I it's it's not fun. You get handcuffed, you get, you know, uh, into a back of a a police car, you get to the ambulance where they strap you down, and you get sent to a psychiatric hospital where you then have to stay there for as long as they need you to stay there. So, but it's so important to really uh, emphasize, you know, that you really do need help if that's, if those are some thoughts that aren't going around, you know, um, in your head and you just, it's so important to have support and to seek out support
0: Jessica, wow, that is really intense, and I really appreciate you sharing such a personal story. Uh, what helped you bring you out of uh, that state of depression that you were going through,
1: and um, what is what gave you your strength? I really, I came across really wonderful people uh, when I was there at the psychiatric uh, hospital. They weren't. Um, it's not your, you know, textbook, okay, Looney Tunes, or like the, um, the, what you see on the movies, it's it's not like that. It, you know, they're normal people, like, what, you know, coming across a person like at the store, like, um, so I was really appreciative of that opportunity to just, for me, I, I considered it a learning opportunity, um, just to say, hey, you know, maybe, there are other people that can uh, definitely like I can connect with. Um, So just finding um, that connection and then not just that, but like sustaining that mental, the help of mental health services. Um, I went to a mental health facility in Palmdale and there I met the most wonderful psychiatrist and her name is Michelle. Um, and she, I ended up like years later um, meeting up with her and collaborating with her as an, an agency partner uh, on a few events. So it does go for full circle, um, and you really like you see things from a different perspective um, towards that uh, the end of you know your experiences. Um, so so just knowing that um, made it that much more wonderful, you know, it's, it's a, it's a journey of course, but it's my journey and it's something that I own and I own it proudly. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, thank you
2: for sharing the story of, you know, your loss of your cousin. I'm so sorry to hear Mm -hmm. that. Um, and and also just sharing your personal story. It, It takes a lot of courage to be able to talk about it And, but I think that's what we need. We need more people to be honest and tell tell the communities, tell the world that we are having issues, that we do need a little more support and that, um, you know, we have this idea of somebody having mental health issues and it's connected to like the movies and what we see, right? But everybody's having um, a hard time right now, especially during the pandemic. I think a lot. Of, it's brought out a lot of scary feelings and um, insecurities during out throughout this whole pandemic. Uh, I have a dear friend of mine who's a pharmacist, and actually, her son is um, OD'd several times, and um, they were able to save him with naloxone. But I mean, you think about this in her perspective of being a pharmacist; she never thought that her children would have any uh, any addiction issues and and getting connected to drugs. Because here, she's a pharmacist. I know everything, I know what I can do, but it really showed that this disease, this addiction can hit anybody. I know police officers that their own children are having addiction problems as well. And mental health problems. So there is nobody that is is hidden or escapes from this disease. But we have to be proactive in how we start talking about it. And that's what I love about this podcast is that we're going to talk about it in real life and really just share our stories with everybody.
0: So Sandy, do you have a personal story about, about what you've witnessed with uh, prescription drugs and opioids? Is there something that has touched you that you've witnessed or experienced?
2: Well, part of my experience is, is really looking at um, how prescriptions were dealt out in the early days of the opioids being released onto the community, especially like Vicodin, right? Our pay, um I used to do, um, I used to work with physical therapists as a practitioner and, you know, we would tell patients, go ahead and take the medication. You went to the doctor, no matter what it was, here's a prescription, fix it and move on, right? Um, There was no, it was great for companies because they got patients back to work. Their employees were back to work. If you had a worker's comp injury, they took a pill and they were able to get back to work. What a society or society right now is telling us, we don't have time to take care of ourselves. That's, that's, that's not a given. We are not entitled to take care of ourselves. We are to continue working our nine to five and keep moving. So when the opioids came onto the scene, especially our, our Vicodins, it got people back to work. It got people feeling good again. There's no pain, but they didn't realize how addicted this medication was and how it would destroy
0: so many lives. Yeah, that is, uh, I have a personal story too when it comes to that. I was given a prescription um, and pain medications along with that. Uh, The original prescription, I had an adverse reaction and it affected my body so badly that I was out of work for a year And the first couple months, my body was on fire. I couldn't have clothes touch me. I needed to have very high level pain medication just in order to endure, just in order to endure the day. And that went on for months. And so I was very aware of the worry of becoming addicted because I could have. So I did my best to try to moderate and keep an eye on that but it was so easy and had I been in that position where I decided to take a little more and a little more outside of what I was given, um, it could have had a different turn for me. And I had to advocate for myself and speak with my doctor about that and about these concerns. And so he was able to clearly walk with me through it. Um, And there are things that he couldn't even anticipate or predict either. And so I did have a second adverse reaction with one of the pain medications that was supposed to help me. So it's it's tricky because there's only so much they know and they can do until the situation happens where um, the interaction happens with that person's body. In this case, it was mine. But I'm pretty sure there's so much I, in a discussion with uh, a group of other providers, this group in, included, we talked about that issue of prescription drug concerns when it comes to advocating. So I was going to ask you about that, Sandy, since this is uh, your wheelhouse is how, what do you think? What do you think people sh- people should know when it comes to speaking with their physician? What do you suggest are the questions they need to ask?
2: Well, I always tell people that you need to take somebody with you. Um, I'm gonna give you an example right now. My mom is dealing with um, loss of her memory, right? So we are working with, my siblings and I are working together of going to the doctor with her. If I can't be there physically, I am on Zoom, on you know screen time, talking, listening to the conversation. Because what happens? She's at the very beginning stages of this. So she still understands what's going on, but you're in such a panic and somebody's there telling you something's wrong with you. Now this can go for cancer patients. It can go for addictions, brain, heart attack, um, memory loss, whatever illness you have, you are, you're being attacked. You feel like you're being attacked because your body's letting you down. You have something in you now that needs to be taken care of and addressed because it's going to affect your life, the quality of your life, or even to be able to survive. And that is terrifying, no matter what or how serious the disease is, how minimal the disease is, it is terrifying for you to sit there and listen to this physician tell you in their medical terms that there's something wrong with your body. So I always tell people, please take somebody with you. Take a friend. Take your take your doctor. Talk to somebody also about who's in charge of your rights, um, who can make medical decisions over you in case you cannot do it. You know, um, it's super important to have somebody there with you. So one of the questions would be, you know, who can you trust to come in and sit with you? Two, when it comes to the medication, let's talk about the medication. Let's you know do a little bit of research on the medication. And I want to be a little bit careful with that because a lot of people think, oh my God, I'm gonna get the side effect. Well, everything has side effects. So but well, we have to be aware of them. And so when you do take the medication, you have an understanding of, hey, I think this is maybe one of the side effects. And I need to look into it and double check, not be afraid and searching for them, but really just be aware of the situation um getting enough information not google doctor uh because everybody jumps on their phone and says oh my god i'm going to die in three days because it says this right no we need to talk about it we need to talk to our physician and also find a doctor that you can trust the first doctor you meet is not the one that you ought sometimes trust you have the right to get a second or third opinion and it's important to make yourself know your voice count. Um, physicians see a lot of patients. And I always tell my doctors, I hire you to do a job. And your job is to take care of my body. Um, are, I have one physician ask me, he goes, well, you have all the questions and you have the answers. Yeah, but I don't have MD behind my name. So I do my research. I have a good idea what's happening in my body. And I figured out what maybe." causing x y or z but i need you to bring your experience to the table and share with me some doctors don't like that but you have to be you have to be your best advocate and have somebody with you that can listen and you both talk about what you overheard and take notes and then start that conversation and if you don't like what the doctor tells you find somebody else there's always somebody better
0: That's great advice. Um, and if I may add, um, your doctor, your doctor is there to listen and to take that information and make a, make an assessment. And if you're fine, that your doctor's not listening to you, that's, that's, that's the red flag indicator that maybe you do need to find someone that you work with well, because it really is about the patient doctor relationship. Um, and the, I think the other thing that's really helpful is while you might do research, WebMD isn't for you to self-prescribe. And that's where overdose can happen because you don't necessarily understand how medication is going to interact in your body, especially if you're taking multiple medications. So that's where questions to your doctor are really important. Ask, ask, ask. And even if he looks like he's trying to head out that door, say, no, wait a minute. I've got a few more questions. I need you to listen to me. That's the advocacy. That's what advocacy means is you ask what you need to know. So when you walk out, you feel confident that it's being addressed and he understands or she understands exactly what's going on with you, because you know your body from the sense that they can't tell what you're feeling, you know what you're feeling.
2: Yeah, and I think one more important, important point that we need to add is stay with one pharmacy. Mm. Uh, you have three or four different doctors that are treating you and taking care of you once taking care of your heart, once taking care of your stomach, once taking care of I don't know my ankle that my orthopedic that my ankle swelled up stay with one pharmacy. So all that medication filters into one location. And they are also, that's your second set of eyes. Hey, wait a minute, this medication and this medication don't go together. Let me call somebody and let them know so we can change this prescription to protect you. So make that connection and stay with that one pharmacy, no matter how many times you're changing, uh, going to see different
0: doctors, because they all don't talk, sadly to say. You know, you brought up an excellent point. I think most people with their with their pharmacist, they go up, they wait their number or turn their number in, they're waiting for it to get called, they come grab their bag. There's usually a consultant period, but it's usually okay, take two pills in the morning, two in the evening. And oftentimes, we don't even think about asking those questions to the pharmacist to, the, to ask, is there any concern that I should have because I'm taking this to... Oh, I'm also taking a natural herb. What do you think? And speaking That's of a, excellent. <laughs> excellent point. Excellent. So speaking of natural herbs and things that come out of our home, I want to ask the group and Sandy, I'd love you to start this off is when we talk about what happens in our home, oftentimes there's cult- cultural perceptions that are tied into how people see medication you know, and it's not necessarily bad, but it's something to keep aware of. So what is it that you might've seen that are, that have cultural overtones on influence of how we, how people use in their family? or well, take I think medication? one of the
2: biggest thing, yeah, I think one of the biggest things is I'm Hispanic. I'm half Hispanic, half Arab, um, Middle Eastern. So we come from, my family will go to El Salvador for example, and she'll, my mom will come back with a handful of medication and go, oh, this is good for X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, what is that? Well, it's, it's a medication the doctor gave me. They don't know what they're taking. First of all, second of all, they will share with my aunt. Hey, you have that? I have that same thing. My ankle was swollen. I took this pill and it made it go away. And I'm, I feel like I'm 20 years younger wait a minute, what, what is in that medication? What are you getting? And I'll give you a perfect example. And we're talking about opioids and pain management. You don't know um, the medications that are done in different countries. They're not under FDA approval. So we don't know what level of, of uh, medication it is, how it's protecting us, what, how has it been tested and how it's going to interact here. Also, insurance is a big issue nowadays you know we pay a lot of money for insurance and some of us can't afford to have insurance so going to the doctor getting this prescription paying 10 20 dollars for this prescription i take it home and i need two pills and i'm you know i take you know i went to the dentist i got some dental work i got some opioids it helped with my pain but now i have 30 tablets i had it was a prescription for 30 tablets now i only have 28 or 27 left because i only needed a few But hey, I spend 20 bucks on that. That's a lot of money right now. You know, that's, you know, four or five gallons of gas at this moment. So what do I do? I keep it at home in case I need it for something else because I don't want to waste that pill. But the reality is that I need to get it out of my house. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a personal story. I've got teenagers at home. And right now that the pandemic has been happening, I've been working at home and at the office back and forth. And that dental prescription, I did have it. I didn't do, the, I didn't have the chance of dropping it off at the D8 pill take back. Um, but what I did do is I left it in my car, that medication, because I knew my kids were home. I didn't want to worry about that prescription, giving them any kind of uh, idea of saying, hey, I'm gonna try that because my friends do, and they say it helps. And I'm stressed out, I'm home, here doing zoom talking to lack of my friends that don't get a chance to go outside as much we live in an apartment um so i didn't want that to be there so i made sure that i sweeped my place but that's what you really need to do is take care of that take these steps it doesn't mean that you can't have a glass of wine or also it doesn't mean you can't have prescription medication but i do need to be responsible in protecting my kids
0: awesome Hey, Ruth or um, Jessica, do you guys have any um, feedback about how you see cultural uh, interaction or cultural perceptions and uh, prescription drugs and opioids in the home?
3: Yeah, I definitely would echo what Sandy mentioned. Um, you know, having medication um, in the medicine cabinet is something that my parents or my family members see as a need. And it is expensive to have access to it. It's not something that you can easily get every so often. So I know for them it's it's difficult to to dispose of the medication that they no longer need, or is it or or is expired, they do throw it away. But um, yeah, they definitely have this notion of I'd rather keep it because I might need it down the road rather than not having it at all. So I, I definitely do see that in in the culture, in my family and in uh, my immediate family and my surrounding families. Um, the the wanting to keep uh, medicine just in case they need it.
0: Yeah, we have the same thing with many of our Asian cultures with the hoarding, the hoarding effect of <laughs> medications for those exact reasons. And it could be a decade or plus older. And sometimes I say, you know, this is 2003. It has no effectiveness now. Mm-hmm. And so teaching about things like national drug take back, which I'm going to actually pass to you in a second to have you give more information is, is really a good opportunity to raise that awareness. Um, Jessica, did you have anything to jump in before we went into that?
1: Yeah, um, I, I want to touch on the young culture in relation to substance use. So it, it's this it that's like the experimental, like, hey, uh, we'll see like how that, oh yeah I try it you know it makes me uh concentrate more I mean some sometimes that's like Adderall sometimes that's cannabis so it just depends on like what like what kind of friends they hang around with um and then what they see on social media it's so huge now with um with how that plays a role in Uh, cannabis use, opioid use, prescription drug use, uh, any other type of substance use as well. Something that came to my attention just recently is uh, there's um, in our area in the AV, Nala Valley, cocaine use while while these people are at work. And these are very young people um, just using cocaine like I guess in the break room, apparently like, Hey, do you want do you want to try some? Like it's as simple as that. Yeah. And that, that's pretty alarming to me. Um, and also another incident that happened is at a gym. He had some type of injury and then someone decided to go get some medication. He told the guy who was hurt. Oh yeah. It's uh, oxy apparently, but it was fentanyl and Mm. that person is no longer alive so um oh no yeah so it's it's super serious and it it, very unfortunate and we we see this so many areas and it's not just um you know in an owl valley it's others as well yeah. And Jessica,
2: you pulled po- You mentioned something extremely important right now. It's fentanyl. Fentanyl is all over the place, mm-hmm. and they're pressing pills. And and it only takes you know grams of like almost grams of salt, you know, the little grains of salt mm-hmm. of fentanyl to kill somebody. And you don't know where you're getting the medication. It becomes it comes in a prescription pill form. People think it's safer because it, they think it's an original medication coming from a manufacturer they don't realize that people are pressing pills right now and selling them and trying to you know expand their dollar, right? They want to make it the highest, get that person to get the highest high they can possibly get um, to consider more customers, right? Um, so it's all about the money for them. But if they don't know how much of this is going into this pill, it can actually kill a person like that person that lost his life. And that's something our, our youth really need to understand as well.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, um, recently I was uh, at a training and the doctor from the Los Angeles coroner examiner's office, she actually shared that nearly 98% of the cases that she sees of the bodies that are coming in are opioid death through accidental overdose due to illegal medications tainted with fentanyl, 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 fentanyl. And I think a lot of people underplay this because they may not know that or see it. Uh, but this is such a critical issue. And actually, Ruth, can um, I go ahead and have you jump in about what the DEA sees when it comes to fentanyl? Yeah,
3: definitely. And, and everybody that has had the discussion so far is is has hit the nail on, on the head. Um, fentanyl is something that we are seeing uh, really the driver of the overdose deaths that are going on. And there's different factors as to how this plays out and affects our youth. Um, many of the times youth um, are requesting an Oxycontin, what they think it's an Oxycontin, but it's actually fentanyl. And within the discussion we've had, we can see how, or we know how, how deadly, even the smallest grain of salts, like Sandy mentioned, um, you know, it's it's very deadly. And so what we see is with youth is again, they're they're asking for something that is not what they're actually getting, and it's really pushing even just not in LA County, but across the nation. Everybody in the DEA's offices are are proactively working on how we can uh, reduce overdose deaths by education, by enforcement, and really having these conversations and these dialogues to one educate youth, but also educate parents that this is a real uh, danger that's going on within our communities. Um, you know, nowadays it's so easily accessible to get substances like like these uh, counterfeit pills that are that are that contain fentanyl Um, and it really has to do with social media you know a lot of our youth are on social media Mm. where they can easily request something and it's delivered right to their door Uh, it doesn't have you don't have to go to a dark alley to get something that you're looking for it's so easily accessible to get Um, what these youth are are looking for. So I I definitely do think it's important to have these conversations, to have these forums where we can educate the community and let them know what's really going on. Um, These pills are are pressed not by professional chemists, not by people know who, um, how to actually combine um, these these pills. Um, So you really don't know how much fentanyl you're getting in these counterfeit pills so that's really what we're seeing across the
0: nation how are you seeing it coming in meaning how is the dea seeing it happen as trends like where is it coming from how are they getting that
3: most of it is coming from from mexico that's where we're seeing it primarily come from
0: okay and what is it that you advise to parents then you know because their their kids are asking for Oxy but do do, and maybe any of you who who's able to answer this question why do you think they're asking for Oxy?
3: I don't know personally Mm. but I would say for parents to have an open conversation and um, really have a transparent conversation with their with their kids on you know day-to-day life what they're going through Mm. I think having an open conversation and and being able to be very transparent where the youth can feel that they can go to a parents or they can go to a um a an adult they trust you know i think initially that's where it goes to as to you know youth experience experiment for different reasons it might be because they're curious because they're coping with something mm. but i think again it, it goes to having somebody they can confine in and have an open conversation and a dialogue so that they don't even turn to substance use for whatever reason that would be my uh suggestion
2: on that point and i agree with you ruth i think it's important just to kind of have that conversation but really even just um, talking about, you don't get medications from anybody else. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I give you a prescription because I've gone to the doctor. The doctor told me you needed X, Y, and Z, and we're going to give this to you. And I'm going to monitor that medication. Sometimes parents make the, the mistake that they look like. I mean, my 11 my year old is taller than I am. And she looks like a grown woman. But I have to remember that she is a child and I am in charge of, of handing her medication. Same thing with my high school students. Sometimes I've heard parents will say, well, they they can take the medication when they need it. It's there when they want it. But no, we need to make sure that we manage that medication and, sh- and explain to them how important it is that they get medication from a pharmacy. And that's still dangerous. That that, da- that medication can still hurt and harm them really bad, but. Um, we're not getting medications from a friend and we're not getting somebody that delivers because they're not a doctor and really kind of have that conversation as well.
3: Yeah. And I, and I just want to mention that fentanyl, there is a pharmaceutical fentanyl that is actually used for pain management for cancer patients. What we're talking about that's Really causing the overdose deaths. It's illicit. It's not something that's prescribed by a pharmaceutical or or a pharmacist. Um, So I just want to make that distinction for people who might not know so much about fentanyl um, so that they know that there is a difference between what we're seeing is illicit and also being prescribed.
0: Thank you for that clarification because I think it's really important if I go back to emphasizing that 98% of cases of accidental overdose are due to illegal medications Mm -hmm. from the coroner's office. I mean, that. That's final, people, that's final. So if you, especially for young people, ask the question if they're passing you something and they don't know where they got it, it's that that's a huge risk. You don't know where that med- medication originated from, and most likely, if they're just passing it passing that to you, it's probably from an illegal source, and that's a huge gamble on your life. But um, let me think, let me tie that to, how things are can be safely stored in the home if it is a prescription medication, uh, talk a little bit about maybe home safety, and then um, add to that, let's talk also about why we have things like National Prescription Drug Take Back. Ruth, you wanna address that?
3: Yeah, definitely. So take back, the Take Back Initiative began in 2010, uh, in which it's a safe place where people can dispose of medication, again, to really, um, prevent from misuse and use from people that are, that are the medication is not prescribed to, right? Uh, so we have different collection sites or different partnerships in which uh, um, the goal is to have as many collection sites as we can, um, in which it's closer and easier accessible for community members to go and dispose of their medication. Um, and also create an awareness. Um, working in my previous employer and, and with many of you, you all partner in, in take back and, and are at take back sites in which you are providing uh your resources. How can people access your resources? So it creates a collaboration between local law enforcement, community-based organizations, and just as a whole, as a community. It creates a sense of of collective effort and what we're all trying to do, right? We're all trying to prevent uh, misuse of prescription opioids and potentially preventing overdoses. Um, so for take back, uh, a law enforcement agency does have to register with DEA to have a collection site. Uh, what would I seen in the past is they usually partner with community-based organizations or local medical groups slash hospitals, and, or they just have it at their local police, offices, police station office. Oh, and what I've seen also even through Sandy is partnerships with local pharmacies and pharmacy locations. So uh, like I mentioned, community-based organization or community community members can go and dispose of the medication, no questions asked. It's all just dropped into a box. At the conclusion of the event, DEA picks it up and we take cover of how to dispose of it. Um, so like I mentioned, it's a very collective, a collective effort in which we work together so that prescription drugs isn't in the home um, from past experiences or for past events that we've had. I've heard many stories of, of how easily it's accessible when you have it in your medicine cabinet. Like Sandy mentioned, you know, she takes it out of her home. You know, people can actually lock it in with a with a lock key or whatnot. So there's different methods on how somebody can store their medication if it has to be within their home. But if there doesn't, you know, just have look into the DEA website with our take back site in which you can find the closest collection site to you. It take back it takes place in April and October. It's usually the last Saturday of the month from 10 to 2 um but also i want to to note that every day can be a take back day Mm -hmm. there is collection sites throughout the county uh, at police departments at local hospitals in which if you can't make it out to a take back site you can also look into a de website in which you can type in your zip code and it would prompt up the closest collection site that's accessible to you year-round so like this podcast mentions uh prevention can be every day in every way take back and take place every day in any way so that is my plug for take back
0: (laughs) awesome job very good hey so um for the group now we 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 touched on so many topics about or so many topic areas in relationship to prescription drug and opioids um What is your takeaway for you about this conversation? Or if there's something that wasn't included that you feel is an important takeaway for those listening, what is your takeaway? Well, I think one of the things I really want to touch, um,
2: share with the audience is naloxone. Uh, Naloxone is a medication that you can get from your physician or your pharmacist. And the pharmacist doesn't need a prescription from a doctor. They can write you a script for it. But even if you don't have, if if you are bringing opioids into your home, you need to have naloxone at home. And that can be a prescription for an opioid because you have cancer and you're dealing with pain. Um, You have a serious, you know, knee injuries, shoulder injury, whatever it is. But you have a medication at home. Or you could be a senior citizen and you have any of these conditions as well. And you might, you know, our senior citizens forget. They might take one or two pills thinking, did I take that pill? I'm not sure. Or they mix the medication with something else. So one, having naloxone at home is a given for everybody, every household, no matter what. Don't think of it as just for the addict. Think about it. You have an opioid you should have a Naloxone. They both go together at home for just your safety of your family in your neighborhood, in your community, because you never know when you come across, you may have a next door neighbor that you know that is um, having an opiate problem. You may be able to save that person's life and the Good Samaritan Law will be there to protect you. And to you can administer the medication, call 911, and they will come with more Naloxone and give them more naloxone if needed. What we're trying to do is save a life. If uh, I'll have to tell you one more thing. I have a friend of mine who is a firefighter and the one thing he tells me is tell the kids that if they are doing whatever they're doing, that we don't care. We just need to know what they're doing so we can save their friend's life. And it's important. So if they're doing opioids, if they're doing heroin, let them know so they can give them their locks to help save them. Right? So it's important for them to know that what's going on. And also, the Good Samaritan and Law will help protect you in that too. If a bunch of kids are partying and one of them starts to OD, you can call 911 and not just leave your friend to die. Really important call for help. It'll protect you. Now, there are some things in the, the Good Samaritan and Law that won't protect you. If you're the dealer or you've got some kind of um, you know, history of um, legal issues with them. But if it's, you know, you're partying, you thought it got out of hand and you took, you need to call someone to get help. Just don't leave your friend to die. Um, save a life. Have naloxone with you. Have naloxone at home and don't be afraid to take it because it isn't just the addict. We can save, you know, grandma that may have taken her medication. One too many times a day because she forgot. Mm,
0: good point. And naloxone, you cannot overdose on that. Naloxone won't hurt you. But no, not calling won't. for help, not calling for help will. Yeah, good point. Exactly. Good point. Jessica, do you have, um, what is your takeaway? I know and yours is very personal. Um, what is something you really want to emphasize for you know, our audience to hear.
1: If I were listening to this podcast, I would just take in everything that I've heard and then put it into action. One thing that I want to um, leave you all with is our website, and it's Tarzana Treatment Centers. So you can access it by uh, typing in tarzanatc.org. And um, we have just so many services to provide and in, in addition um, to MAT treatment, which is medication assisted uh, treatment. So um, I, I want to leave you all with uh, that resource and you can also uh, call them at any time. It's 888-777-8565. And um, also an additional resource, you can go to findhelp.org, type in your zip code, and right away you're going to get uh, anything from food assistance to uh, help paying your bills, um, mental health resources, um, uh, other multiple programs within uh that zip code um that are at your fingertips so i just wanted to go ahead and uh, leave you all with that and um and for my cousin you know and then so many others over you know eight eighty thousand and are actually now um probably upwards of a hundred thousand just those who had passed away um from a drug, a drug overdose, um, I just acknowledge them and uh, that they've affected, or th- that their deaths have affected, uh, you know, uh, their families and loved ones, and they're not just a number.
0: And um, Ruth, really, so if you wouldn't mind, um, what's what's your takeaway?
1: My
3: takeaway for any youth that are listening, um, just to know that that you are strong, that you are worth you're worthy of, and then you're also capable of doing whatever you set your mind to. Um, You know, at difficult times, reach out to those communities that are around you. And if you don't find a trustworthy adult that you can reach out. For parents, um, parenting didn't come with the manual. um, So really be transparent and be there for your kids um, and and reach out for resources. If if you need help uh, with how to talk to your kids about drugs, and or alcohol, um, there's resources out there, uh, like Jessica mentioned at Tarzana, or uh, even other the other agencies that are here today, and also the DEA website has a lot of uh, resources where parents can look into guides and how they can have those conversations. Um, you know, and also keep in mind that addiction overdose it, it doesn't discriminate; it can happen in any household. So please, please, please participate and take back if not take back, uh dispose of medication that no longer is needed or is expired, or really get it out of the hands of um, you know, potentially anybody for for misuse. I know from personal experience, my my brother is in recovery for alcohol and never did I think he was going to experiment or explore with um with uh prescription pills and he did. So I wish my parents would have disposed of that way ahead of time. I'm very fortunate that he's in recovery and, you know, he's, he's pushing forward, but my plug is really, um, you know, try to reduce as much as opportunities for, for things like that to happen. So that would be my takeaway.
0: That is really practical and real, Ruth. Thank you so much. Um, I think what I'm hearing from each one of our guests is it's about the human condition. It's about human connection, whether that drug is a prescription drug, whether that drug is opioid, whether that drug is alcohol, whether that drug is meth. Um, The story is not so much about the drug. It's about helping us in our condition so we don't go, whether the youth, teen, young adult, that we don't take that path to answer some of the things going on in our life, that outside of carefully following a prescription that a doctor gives you, if you do it as a means of trying to solve an issue, it's a gamble, it's a risk, it's your life. And I think each one of us um, shared a story that related to that, that it's, it's something that goes across the board. And I thank you for sharing how real it is because it is about human life, saving human life. And most important, finding a way to enjoy and love your life, right? So there are people out there who do need uh, substance abuse resources. This is one that you can keep on hand uh, in LA County. It's Substance Abuse Service Hotline, one 844 804 7500. Repeat it, that's the Substance Abuse Service Hotline through LA County, 1 804 7500. So, thank you again. This has been an amazing group of women. I want to thank Ruth Morales, Sandy Logan, and Jessica Morales. And you two ladies, I don't think you're related. Maybe somewhere (laughs) up in the line somewhere. Probably, yes. (laughs) But I want to thank you for your insights, your your passion, and uh, the information that you shared. And most importantly, thank you for your heart. You guys shared your heart today. Um, So this is today. This will end today's podcast for Prevention 365. Um, Please join us every Wednesday at Prevention 365 Podcast on Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, Spotify, and Apple. Um, you may also find some of our episodes on youtube.com slash Inc. And that's A-A-D-A-P. People need people. And that concludes our podcast today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Gene. Thank evening. you. Thank you.